This morning, as we reflect upon how God does love us, we focus on how losing leads to keeping. And Jesus spoke to that again and again, and he calls us into worship with these words. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. May our hearts treasure that he loves us and has called us into relationship with himself. And may we give praise to his name today in all that we are about, but particularly now as we enter into worship, singing God's praise. Let those who are in... Father, we do have abundance, exceeding beyond anything we could imagine, because you know what our lives need, and you pour into us exactly what we need, materially, emotionally, spiritually, so that that abundance could overflow into the world. We do not need to hold on to any of that, Lord, but to give it away, and we thank you that we know that and that we can do that now. So most of all, take hold of our lives and let them be to others the witness of your great abundant mercy, grace, and love. All these things we pray in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. God's word once again comes to us in uh, John's gospel as we are working our way through this amazing statement of the cosmic and yet very tangible nature of who Jesus Christ is. I want to pick up with where Jesus was in, in this week. Last week he had been at the banquet that was given in his honor for having raised Lazarus. And uh, we'll... Uh, We'll skip over the triumphal entry because we'll be coming up on that in, in Palm Sunday quite soon, but we're in the same week of this event. So the previous week it was Saturday night at this banquet at Lazarus' house. The next day is, is Palm Sunday. Now we're sometime into the next week prior to Jesus' death and resurrection. Listen to what happened in that week. John chapter 12, verses 20 to 36. Listen to God's word. Now, among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man, the servant of God, the Messiah, to be glorified, to be revealed. Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a simple single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it. And those who hate their life, that is, prefer their life in this world, will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. 
Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It is for this reason I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said it was thunder. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. That's the devil. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die, getting up on a cross. The crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Messiah remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus said to them, The light is with you a little longer. Walk while you have the light, so that the darkness may not overtake you. If you walk in the darkness, you do not know where you are going. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become children of the light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May that light which enlightens and enlivens every heart be the one we hear now as we attend to God's word. Let's pray. Father, let your good news come. Let it come and find us in all of its fullness and power. Not only in word, but in your Holy Spirit. So that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be truly acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and you are our redeemer. All these things we pray, Lord Jesus, in your strong name. Amen. A little confession here. I have a major hang-up about losing things. It drives me crazy, which explains a lot. <laughs> I've been this way as long as I can remember, and it, it can be the silliest little niggling thing, and it just bugs the daylights out of me. Recently, though, I find that I've stopped looking for missing things, and here's why. I'm basing this on the premise that at my age, it is routine to forget where something is. And they tell me that the first memory that goes is the short-term memory. So I should forget about where things are. But if long-term memory serves me, I'll find where that thing is. So I quit looking and figuring, I'll just wait for a little bit longer to go. Long-term memory will kick in, and I'll find out where it is. Okay, guess what? So far, it's working. I lost the keys to my truck a little while ago. Couldn't find him, waited 20 minutes, remembered where I put him, stopped looking. But I'm worried that the duration between short and long-term memory may grow. And it may be more than 20 minutes, and I may have to really be stuck looking for something I desperately have to have, like my merit badge from Boy Scouts or some other really significant thing, right? See, here's the deal. The reality is 
Every single one of us has the same hang-up. It doesn't matter how old we are. It doesn't matter who we are or where we are. It doesn't matter what it is. We are all afraid of losing something. Our minds, control, comfort, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a dog, a cat, security. And so what do we do? We try to hold on tighter. We try to build in greater security. Firewalls, life lock. We'll pay money not to lose stuff. We put in bigger security measures and still, and still, that gnawing sense, what if I lose it? What if I lose what I think I just cannot afford to lose? The reality is that we will. There's the profound nature of the gospel. Whatever it is, the Boy Scout merit badge, the chili cook-off medallion that we won in 2019, a friendship, a loved one, our very lives, guess what? This is a secret they teach us in seminary. Everybody's going to lose their life. Big surprise? No, but we think somehow we won't have to deal with that. The reality is that we will. And the promise of the gospel is that because this life will end, the most important thing we can have is the assurance that God will give back to us what we lose. And it's when we're letting go of it that we start to realize we can't lose it. But how then do we live into the words of missionary martyr Jim Elliott, who lost his own life seeking to bring this good news to people who killed him? How do we live into these words? He is no fool who gives up what he cannot gain in order to gain what he cannot lose. Let me say that again. How do we live into these words? He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. There's the core of the gospel. That's the core of what Jesus did for us. And in this pivotal scene in the life of the world, Jesus brings this home for everyone to see. That's what was happening. Now, one of my fondest acquaintances over a lot of years of ministry has been with a, a singer-songwriter by the name of Ken Miedema. Some, some of you may know his work. Ken happens to be legally blind and has been since he was very, very young. And if, if anyone has a basis for being afraid of losing something, it would be a blind person. And yet, Ken recently wrote these words I want to share with you. He said, one of my dearest friends told me that if there were a single text of mine that I've written that would qualify as Medema 1-1. Not great. We should, all, we should all have a verse that's Bruce or your name, 1-1. He said it would be this, and he wrote these words. Finding leads to losing. Losing lets you find. Living leads to dying, and life leads, leaves death being 
Losing leads to finding. There's nothing more to say. No one will find life another way. That's what Jesus is saying to us. When we let go of this life and realize that preferring not this life, but the life that Jesus gives us now and forever is the only way to live, then we can let go of everything that we try to hold on to. See, this is what Jesus was telling those who really wanted to know him. And that's the core of being a Christian, a follower of Jesus, is really wanting intimately, personally to know Jesus Christ. And Jesus knew that on this day, when Greeks, pagans, Gentiles, those outside the promise, those who should not know who the Messiah is, came seeking him, he knew it was time to put it all on the table, just to lay it all out for every single one of them then and for all of us today to get it. And interestingly, this could have happened and probably did happen a day before his ultimate arrest and crucifixion. He's talking about what it means to lose in order to gain, knowing full well he's going to be arrested the next day and killed the day after that. And what is the core of his message? Just what we all need to know. Only as a seed dies can it really live. Only as a seed dies can it really bring forth what it was meant to bring forth. Only as we let go of our plans for what we will have and be and experience will we be able to experience what God has for us. Paul wrote later in quoting Isaiah, what no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor human heart conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. God's got great plans for you and me. But if you want to make God laugh, you know the rest of that, tell God your plans. Tell God your plans. You want to make God smile? Tell God you're ready to die. Tell God you're ready to die. Doesn't matter how old you are. Oh, I don't mean throwing yourself out in front of a bus. Come on, we all know better than that. I mean that we're ready to die all the time on whatever level God calls us to die, to let go of whatever God calls us to let go of. Keith pointed this out. It's Super Bowl Sunday. Imagine that. But it's also the day the music died. Do you know that? Today's the day in 1959 when Richie Valens, the big bopper, and uh, Buddy Holly, God, the, the Holy Trinity, <laughs> were killed. And, and, and the, the headlines were the, the music has died. And, and uh, 15, 20 years later, Don McLean wrote, Bye Bye Miss American Pie. Well, the reality is a lot of losing is going to happen today, and it's going to be bit far greater than the day the music died. It's going to be far greater than any loss any of us have ever experienced. Because some of what's going to be caught lost today is a lot of money. And Las Vegas is grateful for it, and this state is grateful for it. <laughs> and some of that loss will be heartache. But none of the winning or losing today is going to change anybody's life, really. 
It's not going to save anybody's life. And that's the profound nature of the gospel. At its core is a call to lose our lives so that we may truly gain them. And our ironic resistance is that in our sinful state, we can't see this. We're still trying so much to hold on and to get, get, get. Only God can open our eyes to the fact that we need to lose and let go. And God uses this life and the life of his own son to show us what God knows we need. And as proclaimed by ordinary people like Philip and you and me, he went to, to Andrew. Why, why, by the way, why do you think these Greeks wanted, went to Philip to ask to see Jesus? Why didn't they just walk up to Jesus? Pretty good question, huh? Because Philip was a normal guy. He was an ordinary person. And they were like, uh, could, could, you, could you get us to see Jesus? Because he was approachable. And you and I can be that same way. So Philip goes to his brother Andrew, and he says, Andrew, these guys want to see Jesus. These guys want to see Jesus. Those simple words changed the world because virtually every single one of us, if not literally every single one of us, are out of their strain. We're all Gentiles. We're all Greeks. We would all be pagans except for the fact that they wanted to see Jesus and Jesus encountered them as he encounters us. You and I can change the world by being Andrew, by taking someone to Jesus, or by being someone who vulnerably says, I really want to see Jesus and talk to him and know who he is and know why he is here because I sense he and he alone can fill what's really missing in my life. And it's as we're doing that that we start to see the truth of, of the gospel. And the truth of the gospel starts to be seen in us. But can we see this? Can we say it? Some that day couldn't seem to get it. And it seems as though for decades, centuries, millennia now, people have not been able to get it. Some who even walk through the doors of a church. But God, in the power and the, of His Holy Spirit and His great love, personally wants to encounter us in order to be able to do this. To lose the things of this world and all of its many schemes in order to keep what really matters. It's a great trade. You see, as one wise mentor has said, the trouble with stealing yourself against the harshness of reality is that that same steel secures your life against being destroyed, or the, the, that which we buy into the, to protect ourselves and try to keep our lives from being destroyed is the very thing that keeps us from being opened up and transformed by the holy power that comes from God himself. We're trying so hard to protect ourselves that we insulate ourselves against the need for being totally vulnerable and at the disposal of God's great grace that wants to cut into the heart of our lives and say, here's what you really need, and I want to give it to you. And the reason for this is we don't want to lose. 
Who here wants to be on the losing team? Raise your hand. Who wants to be the last chosen for kickball? Who wants to have all the things that they deem extraordinarily precious taken away from them and end up being without? I'm not seeing any hands for those of you who are listening to on, online. The reality is that's how we are. And humanly, humanly, Jesus gets this. He says, now my soul is troubled. That means I'm really worried. And what should I say? Father, deliver me from this hour? He says, no. It is for this reason I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Don't take me out of here. Now, we've all said the first part. We've all said, now my soul is troubled. And then we followed it with, deliver me from this hour. Get me out of here. Change this. Fix it. Jesus even says this a couple days later when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if there's any other way for me, get me out of here. But not my will. Your will be done. A friend of mine posted a picture this week of a spaceship hanging in a tree. You can rent it. A ladder comes down. You can be beamed up, so to speak, and you can spend the night in the spaceship pretending to have been extricated from this world and all of its craziness. What a naive fantasy, but we obviously, as a human race, are willing to pay for it. We all want that to be true. Beam me up, Scotty. Or even beam me up, Jesus. Get me out of here. But what if that's not the plan? What if that's not God's plan? What if it's not what we need? What Jesus shows us with his life and his death and resurrection is what, is what we truly need is to lose this life in the midst of all of our hard times by surrendering to God and letting our Father, Abba, Father, who knows exactly what we need, show us what that need is, and fill us up as we wait upon him. Yes, losing leads to finding and keeping what we cannot lose. Another image I saw this week was a man looking in a mirror, and it said, if your God lets you do whatever you want, then your God is really you. If your God lets you do whatever you want, then your God is really you. Friends, I, I know if we were really honest, we, we would say, if God really loves me, loves me, God wouldn't make me go through what he makes me go through. And that is exactly what the power of evil, Satan himself, wants us to believe and bank on. That God, if he really loves us, will beam us out of here so we don't have to. But the, that's a lie. That's a lie. We need to go through all that God sends us through. We need to go through all that God sends us through because God knows what we need and because it is as we go through. Whatever it is that we realize Jesus went through that ultimate darkness to show us 
that the devil and darkness itself have no power over those who are in Christ Jesus, those who trust that by going through death for us is exactly what Jesus has done, and the ruler of this world, the devil himself, is cast out. That's where we realize it. Not by being beamed out of here and into some kind of Disneyland, but into the presence of the living God who the psalmist says walks through the valley of the shadow of death with us so that we fear no evil. Jesus' whole purpose in surrendering his life for us was so that no power, no darkness, no circumstance, no situation, no hurt would have any ability to pull us from the plan that God has for us. And that plan is that we would be his now, today, and forever. And that that is all we need and that we cannot lose that. It's as we stop looking for that which will never satisfy and let go of those plans and lose those plans that we find the plan because it finds us, God reaching into our very hearts. Dallas Willard once wrote, you cannot trust Jesus in areas you do not think him competent. Hmm. You cannot trust Jesus in areas you don't think he is competent. And I have to ask myself of this very convicting statement, where do I think Jesus is not competent? What can he not do that I need done in my life that needs to take place in me? Where do I think this man, who was and is God, who climbed up on a cross to show me that death has no lasting power to pay for that gap between himself and me, that I was never going to be able to close, where do I think he won't be able to give me everything I need. And I hear Paul's words ringing in my ear, if God is for us, who or what can be against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not with him also give us everything else? The answer is, of course, yes. Only as we live into the reality of what God has already done on the cross, will we realize that losing leads to finding and keeping. Only as we stop trying to find on our terms what we think will make us whole, will we be open to finding and keeping what God has for us. What is exceedingly abundant more than we could ask or think. Only as we let Jesus be lifted up on that cross and ourselves die with him to our own wills, will God be glorified so that we see what it is we really need. As we prepare to come and receive that gift at the table, let us be reminded of just how perfect is his care for us, how willing he is to lose in order that we may gain. On August 16, 1987, Northwest Airlines Flight 225 crashed just after taking off from the Detroit airport, killing 155 people on board. One survived, a four-year-old from Tempe, Arizona, named Cecilia. 
News accounts say when rescuers found Cecilia, they did not believe she had been on the plane. Investigators first assumed Cecilia had been a a passenger in one of the cars on the, the highway onto which the airliner crashed. But when the passenger register for the flight was checked, there was Cecilia's name. Put your name in there instead, okay? Think of that right now. Think of your name. Cecilia survived because even as that plane was falling, Cecilia's mother, Paula Chacon, unbuckled her own seatbelt, got down on her knees in front of her daughter, wrapped her arms and her body around Cecilia, and then would not let her go. Nothing could separate that child from her parents' love, neither tragedy, nor disaster, nor the fall, nor the flames that followed, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else. And Jesus said on the day of this event, announcing his death, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. My friends, such is the love of our Savior for us, for the world, for God so loved the world that he wrapped himself around us, even as the world was crashing onto that runway and going up in flames. He lowered himself. He came out of heaven and covered us with the sacrifice of his own body to save us now and forever. There is so much more we could say about this scene, but this table says it all. Where is the Greek? Where is the honest voice in us that simply says, please, I would like to see Jesus? That's all. The only way to really find what we need is to turn on the light and get down on our hands and knees and look for it. Jesus is that light, and he has shown us how to get down so we can surrender who we are to who he is. Today, may we do this as we come to this place so that the whole world will know who Jesus is and that losing, losing really does lead to keeping. Amen. Let's pray. Father, this is a message that you brought to us in person because the world that we live in has so clouded its thinking, and the evil one has clouded our thinking that this is not true, but it is the truth that sustains us and leads us home and enables us to bring with us those whom you have called into your presence. Bless us now as we surrender to you that we would be found in your arms forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand up. So as we go, remember, remember, we go nowhere by accident. Where we go, God is sending us. Where we are, our Lord has a purpose in our being there. Because Jesus Christ indwells us, he has something he wants to do through us. Where we are for his glory. May we believe it and therefore go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the love of God the Father, in the communion and the fellowship and the equipping power 
of God's Holy Spirit every single step of the way. Amen.